six feet four. He fights with missiles and with spears. He's all of 31 and he's only 17. He's been a soldier for a thousand years. He's a Catholic. Welcome back to episode five of this season of the VMP Anthology podcast. As you know by now, this season is devoted to the folk boom of the 50s and 60s and the record label that brought many of the boom's best artists and albums to record stores and festivals around the world, Vanguard. In this episode, we cover the fourth album in your box, Buffy St. Marie's It's My Way, her debut LP. He's the one who gives his body as a weapon of the war, and without him all this killing can't go on. He's the it's hard to find a folk debut as daring, jarring, and impactful as Buffy St. Marie's Vanguard debut in 1964. That year, folk was at its highest peak of popularity, the same year Beatlemania made landfall on American shores. But there was no performer in music as direct as St. Marie, and few were as prolific. As she told writer Andrea Warner for her authorized biography, she had written somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 songs by the time she recorded her debut. It's My Way covers a lot of important ground, from the plight of the indigenous peoples of the Americas and the damage of sexual abuse to the mental devastation on soldiers returning from war. St. Marie was the platonic ideal of the folk singer, a person who could not only reinterpret traditional songs, but write devastatingly beautiful originals. Where the Weavers and Odetta faced threats from a congressional blacklist, St. Marie was blacklisted by the Johnson and Nixon administrations for her war protest songs and likely boycotted informally by commercial radio because of it. And where Bias seemed to have a fairly frictionless path to folk stardom, St. Marie's was considerably more tumultuous. St. Marie was born on a Cree reservation in Saskatchewan in the 1940s, and was adopted shortly thereafter by a family in Maine. Given the history of indigenous adoptions in Canada, which often found First Nation families strong-armed into giving up their children to white families due to racist government policies, It's hard to say the exact circumstances of St. Marie's birth, since the records were destroyed. She was encouraged to research her heritage as a child, which led to a lifelong devotion to causes supporting Indigenous people's rights. She escaped her unstable home life, as captured on songs like the incest song, which you just heard, via music, teaching herself guitar using bizarre tunings that were unique to her. Eventually, she attended the University of Massachusetts, where her best friend was a blues performer who'd later come to fame as Taj Mahal. While at UMass, St. Marie gained a reputation for her eclectic style, as she drew influence from everything from Edith Piaf and Indian music to Delta blues and English folk. She went to college to be a teacher, but abandoned that as soon as she graduated in 1962, as she dreamed of moving to India to study Indian cultures, figuring that a brief musical career would allow her to finance that. She performed at clubs in New York and Boston, and eventually was chased by Vanguard, who signed her in late 1963 and recorded her debut in the same Manhattan ballroom that they recorded most of their folk albums in, 
She hit the studio thinking she'd play her best songs at the time, and that would be it for her recording career. She's still touring and recording today. It's My Way features nine St. Marie originals alongside three traditional songs and a Bollywood cover. With the exception of guitar on one track and bass on another, St. Marie makes every sound on the album with her voice, guitar, and the traditional mouth harp. In this episode, we talk with folk and blues scholar and writer Elijah Wald about how after the explosion following Joan Baez, Buffy St. Marie, who just four years earlier might have been a huge risk for Vanguard, was part of a continuum of folk singers exploding at the time. We talk about how Buffy was outside of the mainstream, but also part of a group of performers who benefited from emerging college radio. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Buffy St. Marie even felt particularly like a risk. I mean, Buffy St. Marie was a completely, you know, by the time Vanguard signed Buffy St. Marie, they knew what they were doing. I mean, first of all, Baez, you know, they had been doing Baroque classical records, and it was a pretty English ballad record. And I assume they expected it to sell like that, you know, like the Deller consort who no one remembers. (laughs) but who sang madrigals and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And when it turned out to be a major pop success, you know, they, Ian and Sylvia were Mm -hmm. huge. By the time Buffy St. Marie came along, she was another long haired woman folk singer like Baez. She had a very distinctive voice. She wrote all her own songs. So she was sort of like having Dylan and Baez at once. And she was Native American at a moment when that was a real selling point. And yeah, that but was, then had songs that were pretty radical for the times. She had songs that were pretty radical for the times at a moment when protest music was all over the pop charts. Mm-hmm. I mean, what that record is what, 1965? 64, yeah. 64, yeah. So, I mean, Dylan has happened. Mm-hmm. This is the height of Dylan as as protest music before Dylan becomes not protest music. I mean, Peter, Paul and Mary have had the number one record in the country with Blowing in the Wind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Barry Maguire has already had Eve of Destruction. I'm not sure, but he if he hasn't, he's about to. So, I mean, protest was viable. I mean, I'm not saying that in a cynical way, but nobody thought that would hurt her commercially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then I think in the long run with her, especially like I think she ended up on like in uh, Nixon blacklists. That wouldn't hurt her commercially. And she wasn't going to be on the radio anyway. She wasn't making radio kinds of records. I mean, until it's time for you to go, 
was a radio kind of record, but that then got covered by people like Elvis. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she got into electronica. She got into a lot of really interesting things. But, I mean, being on the radio in the sense you're talking about, which is to say AM top 40 singles, I don't know. that Did they ever release a Buffy St. Marie single? Huh, that's a good question. It I, was yeah. By uh -huh. 1964, you had university radio. Mm -hmm. I mean, Leonard Cohen wasn't on the radio in the sense of having hits, but he was God. I mean, that that simply wasn't how you were measuring that. Hmm. And Buffy St. Marie was, I mean, that was not a huge selling record, but for its audience, she made as much sense as Joni Mitchell. You know, there was a world of people who the door had been opened for. And she was very much sort of within that world. And she hit all the marks. And I'm talking commercially because that's the way record companies think. I, <laughs> right. I think Buffy St. Marie also was a terrific singer and a terrific songwriter, way underrated, never mm -hmm. got her due. Well, why do you think that door got opened in that specific era? Well, I, I mean, the, door, sort of, the yeah. door was opened by bias. And once that door was open, I mean, we've forgotten a lot of the people who walked through that door. Mm -hmm. But for a little while there, you know, the ones we remember are Judy Collins and Joni Mitchell and Buffy St. Marie. But that door was very, very wide. Every record label was trying to get a long haired girl folk center. Mm -hmm. And the exceptions are the ones who were distinctive enough that we remember them. But I mean, there were dozens who you don't remember. Dale Stanley, literally dozens. Uh -huh. Some of them very good musicians and very good singers. But the ones we tend to remember, Judy Collins is the exception on this, are the ones who were also really good songwriters. And Buffy St. Marie along with Joni, you know, Buffy St. Marie by me is one of the half dozen best songwriters of that period, period. Absolutely one of my favorite songwriters, as well as a terrific singer and a really experimental musical artist. Yeah, that she ended up, you know, sort of being an unlikely pioneer of some electronic music later in the 60s, I think, you know, doesn't, it's unappreciated, like the, the depth of her artistry really well and the fact that she went to nashville and did a country album before a lot of people i mean she was a very very far-ranging artist in a way that i think people don't remember i can tell you things i've done and i could sing you songs i've sung but there's one thing i can't give for I and I alone can live the years I've known. The sales for It's My Way weren't big enough for the album to chart, but were enough for St. Marie to leave behind thoughts of moving to India, as she stayed in the States and started touring heavily. Thanks to It's My Way's Universal Soldier, she appeared on declassified internal White House documents in the Johnson and Nixon administrations, and ditto for her advocacy of indigenous people's rights during the Reagan administration. Her radio play might have been impacted, but St. Marie still led a wild and varied career. Later in the 60s, she experimented with the Buchla synthesizer to record an influential album in the evolution of electronic music. It's called Illuminations, and it's co-produced by Maynard Solomon. She also appeared as a cast member on Sesame Street, 
on which she famously breastfed her baby, first on national television. She was the first Indigenous person to win an Academy Award when she grabbed an Oscar for co-writing Up Where We Belong, the invincible song from An Officer and a Gentleman. But her unlikely music career, almost 60 years strong at this point, began thanks to It's My Way. This season of the VMP Anthology podcast is written, hosted, and produced by me, Andrew Winnestorfer. It's executive produced by Amelia Sutliff and edited by Porama Chakravarti. It was recorded in my basement in St. Paul, so I need to extend a very special thank you to Arthur and Remy for being very, very good boys and not being noisy while I was recording this. A special thank you to Elijah Wald for sitting in on Google Hangouts to talk about old folk music with me. We'll see you next episode when we cover Doc Watson. And as a reminder, as always, listen to more Dave Van Rock. Dave Van Rock.